This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's good old JR Jim Ross, the voice of AEW Wrestling. Yo, this is Flip Gordon. CVV Chris Van Fleet. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox. TCO, the French Canadian Frankenstein. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Uh, what a rush. So we're back. It is Monday morning. It's your second dose of Top Rope Nation in the last few days. And we're here to talk about the recent edition of Dark Side of the Ring, focused on the Road Warriors. We kind of want to turn this into a more broad discussion on on the careers of the Road Warriors and our own uh, memories of that. So I am joined, just as I was on the Friday show, by Mr. Kyle Ross and our good friend Andrew Zarian of the Mat Men Pro Wrestling Podcast. And guys, we're just going to start off right up from the top here on our initial thoughts on the documentary. Now, this did the second best television rating of any of the Dark Side of the Rings on Vice in the two, uh, in the two seasons so far. We've got the Owen Hart episode debuting, I guess, tomorrow, now on Tuesday night. And uh, that one will probably do a lot of uh, viewership as well. But in general, Andrew, you said you just watched it, so it's fresh on your mind. What were your thoughts on this documentary? Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I there was there was a lot of positivity. People really enjoyed it. Um, it was it was good. It wasn't ter- it wasn't bad by any means. It was good. I I don't. There was nothing new that I picked up on it. Obviously, it's it's not catering towards me or, or even you. Uh, I thought it was a well put together documentary. This one thing that really stood out about them is how they never stayed in one place too long. They were really good at knowing when it was their time to move to another territory. And um, obviously, we all know the the issues that you know Hawk had and 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 you know substance abuse and everything else. But um, it was it was interesting to see the story being told again in a very condensed version. And they really focused in on how they went from territory to territory. I, I thought that was an interesting aspect to the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think if you're more of a, a pro wrestling novice and you're just, you're tuning in just out of some curiosity, you got a pretty good overview 
of their career. Now, people like us who are really into the industry, who you know, kind of work in the industry, follow it very closely for 30 years at this point. Um, you probably didn't learn a lot, as you said. Uh, there, there were some things that they left out. You know, for example... They didn't talk about their return to WCW in 96, you know, I noticed. They kind of skipped over some periods in their career. So, for me, like, I wouldn't rate it really highly uh, as far as all of these Dark Side of the Rings. You know, where would I would I rank this? Probably, honestly, in the bottom half. I think if you want to watch a good documentary, WWE's DVD they put out on the Road Warriors years ago is pretty good from what I remember. I haven't watched it in 10, 15 years, but that was a well-put-together documentary, I think, at the time, Kyle. Yeah, I think that one was better than yeah. The Dark Side of the Ring. It talked about a lot of the same stuff, but it just went a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And again, it was longer. I mean, you know, we've talked about in the past when we reviewed these Dark Side of the Rings, 44, 47 minutes isn't a long time to tell a story about some some of these things. So, you know, when you're looking at a, you know, 15-year career, <laughs> 47 minutes, man, you you got to go, you got to hit it hard. And um, this was okay. I, I think it, you're. I, I agree with both of you. It was. It was okay. I didn't learn anything new. There were better ones, not just this season, but last season as well. Well, well, something that they that they skipped over. You, you you brought up that I was surprised. They totally skipped over the return in 2003. Uh, which there's a yeah. little bit of a story there that they didn't tell. Uh, the fact that he died, uh, four months after that return. And it was a random raw return against Rob Van Dam and Kane. And I believe it was a tryout. Technically, they got a tryout, but they were under the impression they were getting full time contracts. And that wasn't the case because of what happened in the match. Uh, Hawk was pretty much uh, wrestling. They wrestled as the Road Warriors in 2003. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I actually went back and watched that match on YouTube right after I watched the documentary. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, they were coming off of uh, they spent time in Japan. They were on the Indies before that for a few years. And uh, yeah, ended up being Hawks last match. We know Animal returned a few years after that. And did, uh, Don't did get me stuff. started on the Animal <laughs> on the Animal John Heidenreich Heiden version yeah. of the team. Yeah. Or Christy Hemi. Yeah, that's Stop right. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I look at these dark sides, though, I you forgot know, like, Christy Heavy was a part of that. Yeah, <laughs> the the Benoit one I thought was really good this season. I, I definitely wouldn't put this above that one. Uh, I thought the New Jack one was pretty good too. Um, I, I actually found Brawl for All one. Yeah, Brawl for All was good. Yeah, I I felt going in, it was the story I cared the least about. Yeah, but I thought they did it the most justice. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Season one, too. I mean, I'd say probably the Fabulous Mula one didn't really interest me that much. But Brody, the Von Eric one, and the Gino Hernandez one were all really, really good. So I wouldn't put this above any of those. But, I mean, it was it was a good intro, I guess, for people that aren't that familiar with the Road Warriors. And the good news for Dark Side of the Ring is three of the top four ratings this series has gotten have been the last three weeks, with Benoit being number one. But mm-hmm. the last three weeks have done well with Dr. D. David Schultz and Herb Abrams and then this one. You know, it's kind of interesting when you analyze that because the Road Warriors are, is an act that a lot of people know about, right? They're pretty famous. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. D. and, and uh, Herb Abrams, unless, I mean, a lot of people. Obviously, who this is catered to, 
you know, hardcore fans. They know those names. They probably know those stories, but um, they're certainly not in, in terms of star power. Uh, don't carry the weight of the road warriors. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting. So when they return right in 2013, they were, I mean, I believe Road Warrior Animal was 46. They were not young in that in that in that return. Uh, I, I think he's what is he born? 1957, 1958. So you're talking about guys in their late to mid 40s that were still working in that era because they were legends. Uh, I mean, I I found I, I find the whole the Road Warrior concept so interesting because. These are guys that got over so big on being a cartoon more than anything else. The first time I saw the Road Warriors on a cover of a wrestling magazine with like the non-traditional with like the black spikes or, or, you know, an older photo that you've never seen because, you know, growing up in New York, all we got was WWE. uh, I found that I, I was automatically drawn to this, like, who the hell are these guys? And, you know, back to what we were talking about on, on the previous show that we did. Um, you don't get that. That doesn't exist anymore. I, I want to talk about the word cartoon for a second. I get what you're saying, but I feel they were like more cartoonish in when they jumped to WWF. They were more than a cartoon in the 80s, I feel. You just want to talk about Rocco, don't you? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> what what did you call Rocco in our text thread earlier today? I forgot. Maybe with the oh. lowest ball in the history of professional wrestling. Although <laughs> yes. when Bobby Heenan at SummerSlam '92 <laughs> said the dummy's driving the bike, that's okay. That is oh, the best ball in the history yeah. of Rocco. I feel like I get what you're because they it was this unique look. It's no secret why the Road Warriors got over, as Andrew was kind of alluding to. Okay, nobody looked like that. That that's what nobody looked like. Nobody looked like, that. looked like them, even by standards of that era where 90% of the bodies were artificially enhanced. They were bigger than almost everybody, right? Yeah. They didn't sell. They won all the time. They were booked like complete badasses. Give me that seven days a week over aspiring for a freaking you deserve it chant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 it, it's just... You don't see anything like that on our last show. Andrew kind of talked about you, you know the lack of stars in modern WWE. No one in modern WWE is booked like the Road Warriors were in the eighties. Oh man, no, they never will be, and yeah. they never no. will be. No, because it's somewhere along the way we lost our way without because it's almost considered like a negative. In some circles of the internet, how the road warriors are booked. Oh my god, they win all the time. Oh, they don't sell. Oh, the matches are short. So it works. It's all about crowd response. And they got I mean, they still call it the Road Warrior Pop, right? I mean, these mm-hmm. guys, the crowd loved them. I wanted to talk a little bit about our childhood memories of them because my earliest memories of seeing the Road Warriors, it might have been that late WCW run, like just before they came to the WWF. But I remember my cousin telling me about these guys and the spikes and the shoulder pads and the face paint. And, you know, I'm like 
five, six years old at the time, I was like terrified of these guys, which is one of the things that made them so cool. You know, to be honest, when you look back, I tweeted this out during Dark Side of the Ring, but like they were the perfect combination of you were in awe of these guys, but like also a little bit scared of them. And Andrew, I, I could be wrong here. I, I've been listening to Mad Men for years now. It's one of my favorite wrestling podcasts. And I'm pretty so sure. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I love the show, but I'm pretty sure, and not to not to sound too stalkerish, but I'm weren't you at SummerSlam '91? SummerSlam '91, one of my favorite pay per views. I yeah. saw the Road Warriors win the title from the Nasty Boys, uh, and and that Road Warrior pop is real. They got a bit. I listen. It, it's years and years ago, right? But I they got a bigger pop than the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan in the main event. Wow! It was a bigger reaction. For them, and I remember thinking, um, because I, I went with my dad and my uncle, and they were big wrestling fans, and this was my first, you know, major wrestling show that I went to, and I remember thinking, like, okay, the Road, Road Warriors came out, obviously, they won the title, big reaction, big moment, and now Hogan and Warrior are also coming because I went for obviously Hogan and Warrior. They did not get the same reaction as as them, and it kind of stood out to me. I was like, "Huh, that's fascinating." They didn't get the same response <laughs> as a tag team. Yeah, Kyle, what what are your earliest memories of seeing these guys? So, unfortunately, I basically missed their entire apex uh, of the eighties. I didn't start watching WCW regularly until they had left, and but I had heard of them through the after mags. Yeah. Like Andrew had mentioned earlier. I mean, I was, you know, when they showed up in 1990 at the WWF, I was certainly aware of them. You know, they kind of, they arrived kind of around the same time as Carrie Von Eric did. And, mm-hmm. you know, those were two acts I was very well aware of. And I was like, these are big additions, it seems, for the company. Um, so, you know, and... Animal kind of alluded to it. I would agree with him that their downfall kind of, you know, aside from, you know, what Andrew just mentioned was sort of when they went to WWF. Like to me, if you're to divide the Road Warriors career, it's 80s Road Warriors and like then the 90s. Yeah. Then there's a big difference because the 80s and obviously we've we've all gone back and watched this stuff. I joked with you, Ryan, I think in a text, there are sometimes I'll watch old road warriors footage and i'll be like by god it's the fucking road warriors yeah when they come out to that iron man entrance that was an entrance So, you know, you got to something to look back. We'll never get that because um, the curtain is pulled back so much. Right. Can you imagine the Road Warriors on Twitter 
in the peak of their career. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, tweeting three in the morning, birthday, five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, in the state that he would have been at that point in time. Yeah, well, well, oh, yeah. Man. I mean, I mean, just I mean that state or or what WWE does, and they, you know the Road Warriors. Uh, going on a TV show and, you know, pulling back the curtain and being, you know, Mike and, and, uh, you know, Joe and not yeah. the road warriors and telling you how this is all, you know, Oh, we, you know, we act like tough guys, but you know, I'm a family man and I got kids and, you know, we didn't see that when we were kids, we just saw these lunatics with spikes. <laughs> ah. Yeah. It's like 91 and you're following at WWE animal and then you go to it and then it says, you know, Joe Laurinaitis. <laughs> I know. Like, what the heck? Um, there, look, I, I have softened in my old age, and I don't think there, you know, all these silly debates we have about wrestling. I don't always think there's like this definitive right answer for every argument, right? That said, when you talk about money drawing tag teams, if you want to make the case that it's someone other than the Road Warriors, that's kind of an offensive take like you're just wrong about that i mean it's they are in a class by themselves when it comes to a tag team in a main event situation you know crockett my god did they have it great huh they had the two best babyface tag teams of all time simultaneously them and the rock and rolls Mm -hmm. yeah the road warriors were so over they didn't really need the belts and you could put them in a main event spot where the rock and roll express they were in the tag team title match yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it's it just, you know, I almost would kind of, the way I think to properly contextualize the Road Warriors career, you could call them like the Hulk Hogan of tag team wrestling in the sense that they don't check these boxes that we look for in these modern times of wrestling, but they were so larger than life and when it comes to drawing money as a tag team, just they have no peer. Now, Hogan has peers, but the Road Warriors don't in terms mm-hmm. of tag team. Kyle, would you say, and, and Andrew too, if you look at their careers and you're, you're going to pick out their best matches, now we know that they're not a great technical team. They're just two big guys that kick a lot of ass. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people would point to their match at Starrcade 89 with the Steiners and, uh, you know, another big successful tag team of that era uh w- would we say that that is maybe their best match in the ring you know for for our listeners or maybe you're a little younger that haven't seen a lot of the road warriors in action kyle you're kind of an encyclopedia of pro wrestling that one we're well, that's I, a fascinating that one, match yeah that's a fascinating match because it was near the time they left like they were winding down and they were having a lot of problems with the office and it was very clear that the promotion wanted to make the steiners the badass baby face team. And it was a very rare pinfall loss for the roadies. I, I believe mm-hmm. it's the old German suplex and guy gets his shoulder up finish. It is a good match. Um, but if you were to ask me best match, the road Warriors were ever in, and maybe this is cheating. It's not a straight tag match. It's the first war games. Oh yeah. With dusty and Nikita against the horseman. I have, Long theorized that uh, the folks working the concessions, the Omni that night, were sprinkling a little of the uh, Peruvian nose powder on the hot dogs, man, because that crowd was fucking hot. Yeah. You can't even hear the commentary 
on the tape, the crowd is so hot. I I I agree with you. I think the Steiner match, uh, that that's a that's a pretty well known match. But they also had, I mean, they they had uh they had some really good good matches with the um with the call offs. Mm-hmm. You know, that was another big thing for them. Uh, big feud. And then the Midnight Express, obviously, with the scaffolding match. That that, oh, yeah. that was a tremendous uh, moment to think about. But you brought up something that wasn't a traditional tag match. How about the uh, the Calgary match? Oh, hell yeah. Well, that's that, right. The yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You, want talk, they, you want to talk about a hot crowd. Yeah. Holy moly. Uh, Canadian Stampede, 97. Yeah, the best crowd in WWE history, in my opinion. Like, just crowd yeah. response. They're so hot for everything. Underrated oh. year, 97, one of the most underrated uh, years in pro wrestling for WWE. Everybody talks about the NWO and then what was going on in WCW. And then they talk about the Austin boom of 98 on. 97 was a stellar year uh, as far as, you know, watching the whole Bret Hart, uh, uh, Bret Hart and Sean feud and with Taker and everything and Austin coming up. It, it's really underrated. I went back recently and I just watched the, the entire year. It took me a while, but I went through all the Raws and the pay-per-views. I love that year. It, it was great. That is, yeah, I've said on the show before, it's my favorite year in wrestling history. I mean, between WWF and WCW, but I, I preferred WWF at the time. And it is, that's easily my favorite WWF slash WWE year of all time. I just, the that's when business turned. You know, that USA-Canada thing, that was, oh my God, it was so hot. And yeah, the Road Warriors were there for Kind of the the climax of that with the, with the show in uh, in Calgary, <laughs> the Canadian yeah, they, they might have just kind of been happy to be along for the ride. But yeah, that's okay. I mean, they closed out. Yeah, they closed out. They were a little light on the, the baby uh... face side, and they happened to be kind of over. But yeah, <laughs> well, Sean didn't work the show too, and Sean yeah, didn't they, work they the came... show, and Goldust was on that team. Yeah, yes. Goldust was the one who put this thing together. Remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they came in early '97, made their return. They had that brief run in WCW uh, the year prior, and they they closed out '97 working with uh, the New Age Outlaws, if I remember right. Talked so. about that with the New Age Outlaws and how that went on top rope nation classics, right? And by the way, you mentioned in your house, Ryan. Now that would it make for an returning. interesting show to talk it, about. Now that uh, Hunter is bringing back in your house. Uh, for NXT, by the way, what a sad state of affairs that we're like yearning for the days of in your house <laughs> was a wildly unsuccessful pay-per-view concept 25 years ago. Hey, it might, uh, that might be a good topic for next Monday, Monday show when we do these singular topic shows, I think real good discussion so far guys. And before we go any further, we got to pause for a quick word from our sponsors. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Sexual rage. 
That's right, guys. If you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. There's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. So, yeah, I mean, the Rollers, right, I mean, they didn't have a lot of those classics. The scaffold match, what a fascinating story that is. And a lot of people knew it. I knew it. It was not news to me. But the fact that Hawk worked that match with a broken leg. Yeah. Insane. Fascinating. And so 1987, right? I guess if yeah. you're like a fan, you're like, are you kidding me? Because now they just pull the guy. But back then, no, you couldn't do it. You put all this. I mean, they put so much promotion. Part of the 86. And they put so much promotion into that match. The, the commercial with the watermelon dropping. You couldn't not have the Road Warriors of the match. So we got up there and, you know, as we know, those matches, you know, while they require a certain semblance of gumption to do, uh, not a lot of mobility is required. <laughs> They're never very no, and good. A, and a handful, of, a handful of barbiturates and you're fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you got up there and you know how ironic that, uh, you know, Jim Cornette then, you know, busted his leg and has never been able to walk the same since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's funny that they didn't stay. You know, Andrew mentioned this. They didn't stay in a promotion for a very long time. And you look at them in Crockett, 87 to 90. They'd kind of just worn out their welcome there. That They were kind of being headaches behind the scenes. And that led to the departure to WWF. And um, a run that, to be honest... We were all kids back then, and it was cool because I think the three of us all grew up primary WWF fans, right? I don't, I don't yeah, I think yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's cool to like actually get to watch them on a weekly or whatever semi-weekly basis, but that run wasn't very good in retrospect. Watching back, no, but you got to think who did they feud with, right? They had nobody to wrestle. They had the Beverly Brothers. Yeah. At one point, right? It was the Beverly Brothers. It was the Nasty Boys. They had that that really quick feud with Demolition, and Demolition looked terrible. Uh, yes. They really did not have a tag team division in that company to work with. And then IRS, right? They worked with uh, IRS and Ted DiBiase. Uh, we, it was a weird period for them because they came in, and then there was no tag division. Well, the issue is, moving from Crockett to WWF, WWF is the only promotion really in wrestling history that never features tag teams as main as a main event act. If you look at it. Yeah. Go back. I mean, in the eighties, you know, tag, you can regularly see what certainly in Crockett, AWA, um, you know, any territory mid South tag team wrestling was a staple. 
in the main event scene. WWF, it just never was. And they came in and, you know, not to plug anything again, you know, I was talking about this on a recent podcast with Liam O'Rourke. That demolition feud sucked. <laughs> it sucked it real so, bad. It, it, it sucked so much considering how much hype was put on as far as, you know, it's essentially the same thing, right? They were, they were inspired by, I know that, I know that Bruce Pritchard says no, but they essentially, they were inspired by the road warriors. The whole thing was the road warriors. And now you have the WWE's version of the road warriors going up against the real road warriors. And it was nothing. Well, the problem was that they had, they were doing the three man demolition at that point, which killed demolition. And when you think about a dream match concept, you want, the dream you, you wanted the the um what's the word I'm looking for here the peak version of demolition axe and smash right yeah, yeah. but the problem is axe is having health issues at that time so they bring in crush and that kind of killed the whole team and yeah it, it didn't draw at all I mean right off the rip they were they being WWF were you know kind of scratching their heads that the LOD was not drawing at the houses. It was ultimate warrior and LOD against the three man demolition unit. And that, that drew some disappointing houses. LOD went on to win the titles. Andrew was there. I did not know that that was a hot crowd. So congratulations. Tremendous, tremendous crowd. Summer 71. But I always felt even like that, like LOD nasty boys in terms of a title change, you could put that right up there in terms of like a formality that the titles are changing hands. Well, you know what's fascinating? They were in the company before they won the title. They came in, I think, uh, summer of 1990 into the company. They, I think they showed up July. So it took them a good year to win the title. It took them a while. I mean, that's a long time by today's standards. Who, the nasty, who had the title? Who had the tag titles in that period? In 1990? The and the Nasty Boys. I don't want to get yep. too far off the beat path. You know, Ryan knows how I can do this. But... Uh, <laughs> There was a lot of moving pieces in the WWF tag team division, actually, around that time. Uh, Power and Glory, criminally underrated. And had they gotten the titles as they should have in the fall of 1990, the LOD could have won the titles probably a little sooner. But it goes back to my earlier point. The LOD is one of the few tag teams in history that actually didn't need titles to be a big deal, no matter where they were. No. Because even in Crockett, they, they were rarely champions. Yeah, no, similar to like the Undertaker, I guess, on the single side in that regard. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to do a hard right turn there too. Oh, I was just going to say that you know, outside of the fact that they didn't have a lot of great teams to work with, was just you know the t- deterioration of of Hawk and his drug problems as the documentary got into. And uh, last night, Kyle, as myself and you and Justin were texting about this. We got into a bit of a discussion uh, about something in the documentary that would make the biggest JFK conspiracy nuts salivate because we were talking about That's SummerSlam '92, right? What they yeah. talked about in the documentary, and um, Animal was pretty vocal about the fact that Hawk was, you know, messed up out of his mind and. He wasn't going to be able to get up for the Doomsday Device at the end of that match, and. We all went back and watched the match, and uh, it appeared to us that this story was a little bit far fetched. <laughs> you know, like yeah. So I, I never. Yeah. I, I mean, but you know what? You want to talk about moments that that caught me off guard. I didn't hear that story. Uh, like obviously everybody knew about his substance abuse problems, but 
What did he say? He was on hallucinogenics from the night before? Yeah. Yeah. That he could barely hey. walk, but yet he drove a, a motorcycle to the race. Hey, those gel tabs <laughs> last a long time, baby. <laughs> I, I, first of all, you're in England, right? Like, think about the insanity. Think about like what a crazy person you have to be. You're you're in another country. You're 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 the world champion, the tag team champion. You're on a pay per view, eighty thousand people, and you you say to yourself, you know what? Tonight is a good night to do. Uh, you know, whatever he did, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what hallucinogenics he was. He was taking uh, ayahuasca. If it's today, uh, who <laughs> thinks that way? <laughs> who thinks I'm in England? Might as well let's ha- might as well have some fun. I'm just going to do a couple dabs of LSD. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's interesting watching it though because and, and Justin, who wasn't able to join us for the show, but he he was pretty vocal about this because when you watch it, like. He doesn't look really messed up, and even when I watched it back, like I guess if you if you look at really closely, like he maybe looks a little dazed here and there. But the problem with the story about him not being able to get up for the Doomsday Device is that he did get up for the Doomsday Device right before the finish in the match. Like he goes to the top rope, and then they transition out of that, and Animal ends up hitting the Power Slam for the win. But like he went to the top rope, he he held the ropes the whole time. But it's it's hard to believe that he couldn't hit the spot, you know. So like, yeah, I mean, I even afterwards I was going on the history of WWE and like looking up ninety two cards, making sure Hawk actually didn't work WWF after that, which he didn't. He he really was gone, yeah. as they mentioned in the documentary. But uh, and they had the split after that, and Hawk went to Japan and everything, and Animal his back ended up being messed up. But I just watching the match, it didn't really jive with what was talked about in the documentary to me. Kyle? Well, you know what it is? Or, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, no, go I ahead, cut Andrew. you off there. I, I, because I, I have it on right now while we're, while we're talking to kind of remind me of this. It didn't look anything other than a regular Road Warriors match. No, You're absolutely yeah. right. There was nothing different. Um, I'm curious if he's mixing the story up with Bulldog. Hmm. Because Bulldog if he's, famously Brett had to kind of carry him through the match. Brett Brett had to do a lot in that match. Yeah. So well, well yeah, they just said that that was a touch of the yips rather than the touch of the uh, gel tabs, I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so when Animal told that story, I because of course I did, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what's weird? They don't win that with a doomsday device. I even texted Justin, I was like, hey, don't they win with a power slam? And he said, yeah, they do. And then I watched it. And you're right, Hawk doesn't go up to the top rope just one time in that match. He goes up twice. He takes mm-hmm. kind of a crazy bump early in the match where I think, I forget if it's DBS or IRS, they duck and he just goes skidding across the ring and out. Um, but I guess, you know, based on the fact that they win with a power slam, there could have been a conversation where Animal's like, no, we're going to do this as the finish. That's what he said oh. in the documentary that he basically said that there was no way in his in his condition Hawk could could do the move, yeah. and that he had to kind of push Hawk out of the way even when he did the power slam, which is true. There's yeah. it does look a little awkward, like Hawk's yeah. kind of in the way. I will say Hawk didn't exactly give the performance of a lifetime in that <laughs> match. Uh, Meltzer, in his review, I looked it up in the Observer, said, "quote Hawk didn't appear to be in the mood to sell, but he never was." <laughs> was he ever? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that Animal did get a little bit wrong in the telling of that story, just to, to clear up some housekeeping here, the way the tag team division was supposed to be booked 
allegedly, the way it's been told by a lot of people, is the Road Warriors were supposed to get the titles back at that show from Money, Inc. But because they knew Hawk was leaving and they didn't tell this part, it was because of the steroid testing that was about to come down. Mm. You know, he turned his, he, he basically gave his notice and that's why the natural disasters got their completely forgettable three or four month run with the titles and Money, Inc. wins them back. So the original plan was for LOD to win the titles back at Summer Slam 92 from Money, Inc., um, you know, that's why if you go back, if you remember money, it could beat him at a house show and then LOD gets Ellering into the fold. It was all supposed to build to them winning the titles back. But with the steroid testing coming into play in 92, Hawk wanted no part of that. He obviously knew he was going to fail and WWF moved pieces accordingly. They took the titles off money Inc. for that show. LOD still goes over, but it was not a title match. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know all that. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're all pretty much on the same page, though. You know, if if we're talking greatest tag team of all time or biggest drawing tag team of all time, like, no question, it's the Road Warriors. We all grew up fans. We all loved them as kids. You know, it, it's an interesting watch. I would definitely recommend checking out WWE's DVD that they did on. I have no idea if, if that's on the network or not, but uh, it's a good watch. Um, you know something yeah. we haven't mentioned? Just one yeah. follow-up. How fa- fascinating is it? that that many successful pro wrestlers came out of Minneapolis from that time period. Oh my God. Unbelievable. It's insane. The, a, the AWA DVD, by the way, too, is, is a really good watch. I love the AWA DVD. Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. Like those Minneapolis yeah. suburbs wow. is all over the place. Was yeah. It? Uh, and they Henning, Henning Rude, the road, uh, road warriors, um, Akita Koloff, Akita Koloff, uh, Scott Norton, right? Mm-hmm. Cause he's a yep. Minneapolis guy too. Barry Darso. Yeah, the great Barry Dorso, the great mm-hmm. Barry Dorso. What a utility man in the history of this industry. And it's it crazy went, too because a lot of them are about the same age, and they talk about how they were kind of aware of each other, even like growing up or ran into each other. And yeah, just tons and tons of talent up there. So yeah, I yeah, that's that's another highly recommended uh, old WWE DVD is is the story of the AWA. But uh, yeah, I mean, any anything you guys wanted to say about the Road Warriors that we didn't get in? Before we close up shop here, the Hawk dies off the Titan Tron thing is oh, one of the so things bad. in the history of Monday Night Raw. And think of the ground that covers. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing that he was sober, you know, like he had gone through his issues and he was sober and he was doing really well. And just, uh, uh, just so bizarre. So bizarre. It was very uncomfortable. I remember, I mean, watching it live. I always yes. found it very uncomfortable seeing him with, you know, with no makeup and he had the longer hair and he's out there. He's talking about his sobriety and how long he's been sober. And Lawler is just ripping on him and calling him a drunk throughout the entire thing. Because remember, it went on for weeks, right? He would come out. Mm-hmm. Road Warriors, uh, it would be Animal and Draws having a match. And he'd sit on the outside talking on commentary. And Lawler was just brutal with him. Mm-hmm. And looking back now as an adult, it's even worse. But I was a teenager and I'm thinking, I'm like, my God, that's. It's really, it's pretty mean, you know? Yeah. It's so weird how they do that. You know, like they did that with Jake too. Uh, Scott Hall. <laughs> and Waller was, and Waller killed him Waller too was involved with that. Yeah. yeah. That, that is really too bad. It is, it is very mean, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that live, you know, just like Andrew. I was like, this is shitty. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I know. I was probably 15, 16 at the time too, thinking the same thing. It didn't even like get over. Like, what are they? It's not like it was like, oh, people like, oh my God. Like, I they just dropped the angle. Like, here's this guy, he falls off the Titan Tron, and there was like no real follow up even to where it. do you guys remember where it was supposed to go? Hmm. Draws was supposed to like turn heel. They kind of touched on yeah. it where they showed the thing where it was like they played it where it's like he was trying to save him, but he actually pushed him. That's right. But he was yeah. manipulating animal, right? That's what he was Yeah, doing. yeah. It was supposed to be like Draws was manipulating animal, trying to break Hawk and animal up so he could slide into the Road Warrior spot. Yeah, and he pushed him. But um, somebody got a, you know, cooler heads prevailed and, and yeah. they just nixed the whole angle. Yeah. You know what? Talking about Dark Side of the Ring, I think the Draws story would be fascinating. Oh, so no- yeah. I was there, by the way. I was there the night he broke his neck. No way. Wow. I was front row at SmackDown at the Nassau Coliseum. Him, him and D'Lo Brown. I don't even know if it was a tape. It was they weren't. I mean, obviously, it was it was taped the show, but I don't know if it was supposed to be on TV. It was early on in the show. And he went up and I was front row. My seats were right behind Jerry Lawler. If you watch that pay-per-view, you could see me throughout that entire pay-per-view. A 15 year old version of me. And. I, he just went up and I, I forgot what the move was. It was, it was a, it wasn't a suplex. I can't remember, but everybody in that building knew he was done. He was, Mm. his neck was broken. Shane came running out. Bruce came running out. It was, it was really weird to watch wrestling, you know, for another two hours after that. Jesus. (laughs) Traumatic experience. Even at, yeah, what were you probably 16, 17 at the time? Probably 16, 17. yeah. 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 Wow. That's crazy. Oh, man. Well, anyways, I mean, the Road Warriors, we love to get nostalgic on this show and talk some classic wrestling. And uh, this this certainly does it. You know, like if I think of a tag team, if I if I could watch one tag team, this is they're up there for me. It'd be like them, the Hart Foundation, the Rockers. That's that's the cream of the crop for me as far as my tag team wrestling favorites go. So, yeah, check it out. Let us know what you think. TopRopeNation at gmail.com. Uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. You can find the show at TopRopeNation. We're also on Instagram. Andrew, where can the listeners find you? Uh, of course, Matt Men Podcast, where everywhere podcasts are available. We're on YouTube. We do shows live. We do watch-alongs with the pay-per-views. And uh, GFKNetwork.com. Kyle, the listeners, where can they find you? Hell. <laughs> No, uh, uh, TRP Kyle. <laughs> at TRP Kyle. Yeah, Andrew, again, thanks for keeping the seat warm for Justin, who will be back at the end of this week for our next episode. Again, I would highly recommend you guys check out Matt Men. It's a great show. And uh, if you like our show, if you aren't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts are found. You can find more at topropenation.com and of course we are giving away free t-shirts for all new patreon subscribers over at patreon.com slash topropenation if you sign up by may 31st we'll send you a free t-shirt in the mail check out all the details over at patreon.com slash topropenation and uh, we will check you guys out this thursday have a good week